What's up, everyone? Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, which is a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone an opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle's the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Again, that's bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode of the OBR Film Breakdown to find out more about bwhustle.com. Again, Blue Wire Hustle, so that's bwhustle.com join. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What a beautiful throw by the Baker. Big job! Hasta la vista, baby! What's up, guys? Welcome into today's episode of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. It has been tough for me to get things out as quickly as I would have liked them to. Unfortunately, I've had a bout with, with COVID-19. I'm trying to uh, to work through, almost done quarantining, have finally felt up to it uh, to get everything edited and done on my own. So I hope you guys are doing well. I'm going to share three separate interviews, which I think are interesting. Uh, the first is to recap the Jets game. I did so with Jared Mueller on the regular OBR Daily podcast. I think there's a lot of insightful things. If you've not read my play-by-play article where I looked at why the Jets were able to stop the Browns' run, I encourage you to do so. It's uh, It's got a lot of tidbits into why they couldn't couldn't successfully run the football instead of just giving up on it. Um, it's a, it just easily explained. Hopefully you check that out. But uh, I want to jump over to this. I recorded it with Jared yesterday. And I think it has some insightful stuff, uh, like I said, about why I think it didn't work, and a little bit on Pittsburgh. And we'll have some more interviews down the line here, but this is a good place to start because it recaps what was a really, really frustrating uh, situation that the Browns were in, frustrating uh, predicament that the Jets took advantage of, and uh, a brief little recap of a game that I think hopefully we can all forget about with uh, with the Browns win this Sunday. But let's jump over to that interview with Jared. You know, all week I made sure I wear Buckeyes colors or Browns colors because it's, you know, two pretty big games for uh, football in the state of Ohio. So it's going to be interesting. Listen, I, the Ohio State has to get over the hump mentally with, with Clemson, who's, what, 4-0 against them all time now. And Cleveland has to get over a little bit of the mental hump with Pittsburgh. I mean, I know they've beaten them in the past, but they haven't beat Pittsburgh in meaningful games in a long time. So this is uh, two games in which the Ohio teams have to, to show some resolve. You know, absolutely. And and for the Browns, which is obviously what we're here to talk about, um, we don't want to spend too much time looking backwards, but we want to I think you did a really good job on the OBR uh, kind of breaking down for us why. And so I don't want to spend go too deep because I think your your piece did a good job. But for those of you who haven't read it, how did the Jets besides the fact the Browns had no wide receivers? How did the Jets stop 
the Browns rushing attack on Sunday? Well, there's it's twofold. I think the Browns are dealing with Nick Harris, who, <clears throat> excuse me, who um, was a little overwhelmed. And listen, he played pretty well against the Giants, but I think the Browns threw a significant amount of times against the Giants, and that helped him a little bit. He's a little bit better in retreat right now. He's not a big guy. Uh, he's smaller than J.C. Treader, who I don't think J.C. Treader is a very big center. So you're you're kind of dealing with the physicality issue right away. And then if he if he doesn't solve it with perfect technique, then sometimes he gets beat up. And he got beat up in there a little bit. Um, and I think that that led to some issues. I think the tight ends didn't block as well as we hoped they would. I think Njoku was okay. But Hooper, I think, would admit that he played his worst game in a Browns uniform. And then I didn't think Harrison Bryant was very good either. So when that happens, and and as you know, they only ran it nine times in the first three quarters or so. It it wasn't a ton of opportunity. So if one guy breaks down, it's a problem. And that's what can happen. You know, the Jets did a great job of saying, hey, the Browns are going to play. If they play these wide receivers, we're not afraid of them. We think that the Browns don't trust them. We think that there's going to be a lack of chemistry there. We think they're going to do everything they can to not throw to those guys unless they have to, which ended up being right, right? 35 throws to tight ends, running backs, the most uh, that we've seen that this year, obviously. And I think that's only been happened four times since 2000. So I think that, that obviously the Jets' thought process was perfect. They decided to play their Mike linebacker about seven yards. If you recall a Greg, uh, Greg Williams Triple G special when he was here with Joe Schobert, and they said this, we're, we're going to bring our corners. Anytime the, Brown, anytime the Browns get under center, we are going to bring our corners off the edge. We're just going to run blitz them. We're going to send them inside. They're going to be D-gap run fit players, and we're going to have our interior guys, our box guys, play the box aggressively. And if they play action boot, we have a guy sitting there, a very fast athletic cornerback awaiting him to, to, to boot back into our lap. And if they straight drop play action, we think that we have enough uh, defense in the secondary to, to slow down enough, uh, slow this thing enough to, to get home, that we can get pressure on Mayfield and make it hard on him. So they would just take their two safeties and roll those two safeties outside at about 10 yards after the snap and just kind of play catch coverage. Like whatever the wide receivers run, they're playing catch coverage. The Browns didn't throw much, though, from under center. They didn't run many play action schemes. They just wanted to try to get under center and run it. And the Jets had the perfect formula. The corners and run fits gave them fits. And if you play any odd front team, which the Jets were, for the most part, an odd front team, you have to be able to handle the edges, and they did not handle the edges well, and the Jets were able to send their outside linebackers slash defensive end. They just call them edge players. Some call it a Rio Leo type. Uh, they were able to send those guys inside and let them play less worry about contain and more worrying about, hey, man, hit the C-gap and make disruption happen, and that, that's what they did. So um, the game also dictated it, as you know, Jared. They fell behind, and, and they couldn't just continue to try to run the ball. When you're open the second half, and it's – Listen, they are disappointing in the first half. I think they ran for four yards, five yards total in the first half. But the Browns' thought process was where everybody talked about it. Well, they come out in the second half, they're going to run the football. Well, you fall behind 20-3 to three after the first possession, and every time you hand the football off, it's a win for the defense at that point because the clock's running. So the Jets got out of that you know, press corner, uh, you know, sort of auto check to send the corners in the second half because they were up by so much. So it didn't matter. It, it just, what they wanted to do was get out in front of Cleveland early by doing a couple different things defensively. They thought would give them a headache. And then they wanted to beat them with a couple special little plays offensively, which they did. They beat them with a trick play to go up. Then they hit them on a, a little, uh, uh, inside breaking from a bunch alignment inside breaking route, which the Browns have struggled with all year. And, and all of a sudden it's 13, 14, three, and the Browns are trying to play speedy catch-up, which they did well enough 
but a fluke fumble happens there on the final drive that, that eliminates it. So listen, it sucks. It is what it is, though. They 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 had a team that perfectly took advantage of their personnel issues and challenged the Browns to do some things they were very uncomfortable doing. And um, by the time they adjusted, which I think they did adjust, by the time they adjusted, though, they just the, the seconds ran off the clock, which is pretty similar to what happened with the Rams the week <laughs> before. I think people got to stop thinking that, like like the the Jets pretty much beat the Raiders. And it was a fluke play at the end. Williams, right? Exactly. It's a fluke play at the end. They beat the Raiders. They laid a couple clunkers. I think they laid a clunker against Seattle and maybe somebody else mixed in there. Maybe the Bills. I can't remember. But they played well the last like five weeks. They obviously beat the Browns. They beat the Rams, who were in contention to be like a like the two seed in the NFC. So the the Jets are a joke. I get it. They have won one game, but they were playing really hard, and they've been playing much better of late. And uh, they used the same formula they used the week before against the Rams and against a similar offensive structure that the Browns had. And uh, I think they did a great job of throwing in this late auto check to, to challenge the Browns to throw um, to to their receivers against uh, tight under center coverage. So, like, I just think they did a great job of adjusting to what the Browns wanted to do, making their run game difficult. By the time the Browns kind of gathered their thought process, hey, we need to throw some more screens. Hey, we need to run the ball from shotgun. Uh, to eliminate those auto check blitzes, it was just a little too late. But again, it wasn't technically. They don't fumble. They could have tied that game up and potentially won it in overtime. But you know, that's uh, should have could have game. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and Jake hit on it already a little bit. We're going to move forward. So make sure you go to the OBR, uh, look up Jake's piece on on what the Jets did to uh, the Browns' run game, and you can actually see the videos that he broke down there for us. And Jake started talking about the odd front. So before I uh, kind of get into that. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting. We tend in the general media as well as fandom to kind of swing back and forth. So at one point in time, three, four versus four, three defense was all the conversation. And then we've really swung the opposite direction where it doesn't matter. Cause we are in, uh, everybody is in nickel or dime, you know, 63 to 75% of the time or whatever the numbers are. I know the bills are at something like 90% of the time they're in nickel or dime packages. Um, but you have stated to me privately, as well as just a second ago, that odd man fronts tend to cause the Browns problems. So before we get into uh, Jake's kind of thesis on that, remembering that it some of what matters there is is the gaps. Uh, and then what you probably understand, fans, is technique. You've heard us talk about, you know, the nose tackle, which is the zero or one technique. So that means they're lining up over the center or between the center and the guard, which is the one technique. You've heard of wide nine, which is the defensive end that's kind of way out. You've heard of the three technique and, you know, where they're going to be lined up. So just remember some of those things that we're talking about techniques on the defensive side and gaps on the offensive side and and what that all kind of looks like. You'll remember gaps because Greg Williams said something about putting your testicles someplace in a gap. So, Jake, you talked about the odd man fronts being difficult for the Browns. We know that the Steelers tend to run odd man fronts. So do the Baltimore Ravens. So what does that mean that odd man fronts are difficult for the Browns and for zone run schemes in general? It's just a different look. You're so used to playing four man front defenses that, you know, when you have the center with a guy head up and you have a, a couple four techniques over your offensive tackles, and then you have these wide outside edge players, it just makes for different launch points for your tight ends for your tackles and who you have to reach it makes you have to cover more ground and I think it does allow defenses to do more unique things in terms of playing gaps that were unexpected crashing defensive ends 
those outside linebackers I was talking about and scraping from inside linebacker positions. It just it presents more guys into the box, a five-man front instead of a four-man front, and it just challenges you in a way that you're not typically used to facing. You know, the Browns spend all their time prepping training camp, just getting used to the scheme against a four-man front because that's what their defense runs, and their defense is trying to get – better at what they like to do and it's just it's just a situation where you don't see that defense a ton and it creates some different unaccustomed angles some different looks from guys and pre-snap alignments and uh, you play teams like the Jets who shifted late uh, those late shifts and changing gaps at the very last second can give you some really strange uh, looks too and all it takes is one guy coming free um, more often than not is one guy goes unblocked or one guy doesn't get the reach or one guy doesn't get the gap down he's supposed to get to and you have a guy in the backfield that blows up the pool or blows up the the uh, cutback lane of the running back, and it's just it's just a different it's a different approach. You know whether it's three three five stack stuff or um, you know whether it's true three four defense. It is it's there to confuse and manipulate offenses into doing things and, and treating things uh, differently than they're used to doing, and that's why so many defenses run it. It's an effective style, and it is particularly tough to block. Uh, the edges against that defense. And I think a lot of what the Browns just generally like to do is run the football laterally to open up cutbacks, open up bounce, open up that bang course, whatever. They like to run laterally to run vertically. And I think that that defense is built, that front, that structure is built to handle it really well. And that makes a lot of sense because when you have four men on the line of scrimmage, you can do what you need to do to them pretty quickly since you're right there with them, whether you're an offensive lineman or a tight end. Uh, but then when you have those the the extra guy off the line of scrimmage, so he's a couple you know feet away, yards away, or whatever, and the guys on the outside, you just have more ground to coverage. It's a little bit different, difficult to get to, and they have a they have that extra second to see what is happening. Whereas a defensive lineman, the three up front or the four up front, you have that extra guy who the Browns are getting to right away, and so they don't have as much time to react to figure out what's happening, where you're trying to go, all of those kind of things. And they're just a little bit farther away to get that cut, right, to get to. So that makes a lot of sense, and it and it explains why, while in general we may not value 3-4-4-3, three, four, four, three, but like you said, having those three down linemen versus four down linemen can really set up things to just be a little bit more difficult. That extra one guy off the line of scrimmage and where they're at really creates an interesting puzzle and I think I, as a guy who has not played at the level you have or any of those kind of things, I feel like the zone blocking scheme, if it can be described as anything, is it's a shifting puzzle at all times that every piece has to have a good feel for what it's going to do when other pieces on the defense move and do and shift. It feels like a just a consistently shifting puzzle. Does it feel that way to you as you you know know the nuances of it? Yeah, it's not a static puzzle. It's like a puzzle where it's on the move all the time, and the and the corners change, and the and the edges and the and the and the placement can change from from snap to snap. It's reactionary. It's not it's not static in nature. So you have to react to how you know whatever gap a defender's trying to play. You have to react to where they're trying to get to, and either seal, run by, or whatever. And then you have to have somebody who's putting the puzzle together in the top half of it at running back who can see the shifting pieces at the same time and be able to get to where he's supposed to go, then it creates the best avenue from A to B. So uh, a puzzle's probably right. Maybe like cogs in a clock or something like that. Yeah. And it just every piece is dependent on the other piece, and what you have to do is more reactionary and more 
um, a, a, a movement approach based on what the defense tries to do to defend it. And you have to, again, you have to have a master back there working in the running game who can who can get where he's supposed to go uh, as things are shifting and evolving every step of the run. So which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. And, and again, we've talked about it, about quarterback play, but offensive line running back, just how much information is being processed in such short periods of time and why it has to be reactionary. It can't be, they're not really thinking if we, if we think about thoughts as let me decide where I'm going, they really are subconsciously reactionarily reacting. Another dork part of me is I love uh, Marvel. I love superheroes. All that is thinking about Ant-Man and how he, you know, dealing with the quantum realm and making sure he doesn't get lost and making sure all of that kind of stuff. And, and there's a lot of that going on where there's just so much information to process. And at times, you know, obviously I think Nick is better than uh, Kareem uh, in kind of processing all of that information. Uh, But in general, a lot of information to process and when things are just barely off whether it's in you know having nick harris um having kendall lamb having you know those corners coming there was just so many different variables against the jets that again in week 17 which we're going to talk about here before after i talk about indeed in week 17 against the jets we may not be visiting the full team but we may have to do that in the playoffs, may have to do that in the future. So it's something to keep an eye on with odd man fronts and how the Browns zone scheme or how Kevin Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt and the the like adjust that scheme and maybe try to do things a little differently when facing that scheme. Uh, but we're going to talk about week 17 here in a second, uh, Jake, but I got to talk about indeed first 2020. Literally, I am going to post this right after Jake and I record just the way it's going to go from now on. I'm going to try more often than not to just get it posted, give you more time to listen whenever you want. So 2020 is literally almost over. I mean, I'm talking, we got in my time zone, we got less than 10 hours left. Uh, So 2020 has already reshaped how we work. It's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Uh, Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. According to Comstore, Indeed helps you find your quality candidates quickly. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com. We literally mean right now. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire because this offer is only valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know what read I will read tomorrow. I'll probably read this one and just hopefully that blue wire thing still works. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire. So Jake week 17, we're going to move forward here. Let's just ask it this way. The Cleveland Browns lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm not even going to pretend like all the, you know, the Colts. I don't care. I don't want to pretend like the Browns are going to make the playoffs without beating the Steelers. So forget all of that noise. The Cleveland Browns lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. What does that mean? Well, it's devastating. I mean, you don't really always get a schedule that lines up perfectly. Uh, I, I don't know if this one lined up perfectly per se. They've dealt with the Browns have dealt with a ton, a ton of adversity. But to be ten and you know whatever ten and four and have a chance over the last two weeks to beat a one-win Jets team who's really not trying to win as best they should, maybe from the GM, uh, from a front office standpoint, and then to face Pittsburgh who's sitting. 
the majority of their most dangerous players, it would be pretty devastating. And I always fear, as any Murphy's Law Browns fan fears, is it's like <laughs> the point at which it turns, right, where you think you have this promising head coach and then they lose this game, they miss the playoffs, the same way everybody thought in 2008. They were like, okay, they're going to trend up and keep getting better. Or 2003, when they came back, everything's going to trend up and they're going to keep getting better. This is just the start. You never... You never know. We all really like Kevin Stefanski. I do, obviously, and I'm in the boat. Uh, but you just never know. It's like in three years, you look back after a couple of disappointing seasons, and it's like, man, maybe if they would have just got to the playoffs there, it could have changed everything. Um, I, I, You try not to think that way, but it's just the nature of, of being around this franchise for so long. It would have a lot of long-term ramifications, I think, in terms of the, 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 the impact on the franchise. Uh, the guys, the psyche of the players, all of that, and, and potentially on Baker Mayfield, too, if he doesn't play well, uh, especially over these last two weeks, if you added them up, you'd, he'd be pretty pretty devastated. So, listen, I, you, you don't want to consider them losing. Maybe they are maybe they have enough resolve. Maybe they maybe Kevin finds a way to overcome it, and they put this thing together for the long term. I don't know. It's not – I can't sit here and say if they lose this game and miss the playoffs, which losing does not automatically mean they're out, but it would certainly become a very uphill battle, but – you know, if they if they miss the playoffs here, it 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 would take a ton of resolve, and it would take, um, I guess it would take it would take a pretty not miraculous, but just just a ton of grown ups. I hate there's no other way to put it, but like just a bunch of guys who can overcome. And if they were able to overcome that, I'd be kind of surprised. I don't know what other way to put it than I'd be surprised because it just would be it would be devastating. You know, if you look back though, Jared, at the beginning of the season and you told a Browns fan, "Hey, man, they're going to go ten and six this year," you'd be like, "Oh, wow, okay, yeah, great, yeah. I love that." <laughs> Especially considering the circumstances leading into the year and what they've dealt with. But to be where they're at, Jared, at ten and four two weeks ago, and to come away at ten and six and miss the playoffs when it was all right there in front of them, would just be devastating. I think you could take a step back maybe a month or two later and be like, okay, actually 10-6 and six was a pretty good pretty good to great first season. It sucks they missed the playoffs. But it's the nature in which they would have missed it. It's the Jets and then the Steelers resting important pieces. They're, they're winning pieces. And that part of it would be a really hard pill to swallow. So um, it could be a turning point one way or the other on Sunday. It could be this launch point into the playoffs into what we hope becomes a perpetual competitive franchise over the next uh, decade. Five, we'll just say five years because we don't want to go that long, but you know, a nice five-year run uh, for the franchise. Or it could be a pivot point in which you look back in a couple years and you're like, that's where it went wrong. So um, it's huge. Needless to say, it's, it's a playoff game within the regular season, and they have to do, I've said it from the beginning of the week, whatever it takes to get it done. Bring a couple trick plays up your sleeve, bring a fake punt up your sleeve, fake field goal, uh, do some things defensively that Mason Rudolph is not prepared for, um, which is challenging because the Browns are dealing with limited practice time already this week. But you got to it's got to be all hands on deck, man. And you'll deal with the ramifications of what that means. Maybe you go play Pittsburgh again the next week, and, and which is highly likely. And you've thrown everything at them, but you just got to play the game. So you win this one and then you see where the, 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 the chips fall or whatever. And you go from there. But it is an all hands on deck and it should be whatever is necessary to get this thing done, man. Absolutely. And I think you're exactly right that sometimes, not sometimes, oftentimes narrative does play such a huge role. And, you know, understanding that the end, and I wrote an article today for the OBR, so you can check it out more from a counseling perspective, but how personality traits of process versus outcome and all that stuff play out. But, 
you're right, 10 and 6 will feel different, you know, because of who the last two teams were. Whereas if the Browns were playing the Packers and Chiefs and they both had something to play for in week 16 and 17, so they were playing all their players and the Browns just couldn't pull one of those games out, they still got 10 wins. It just happened to be that their last two games, they couldn't get it against the two top teams in each conference. Okay, you know, that's different, but there is a narrative piece to this that can play a huge role in. And how people see Kevin Stefanski. How, but what really matters is how Jimmy Haslam sees Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. And even maybe even more so how free agents see Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield, their defense, whatever it is. Um, and who are trying to decide if they want to come to Cleveland. Uh, you know, making the playoffs, not making the playoffs, losing to these two teams versus maybe giving the, a run for the money to the Packers and Chiefs and just falling short. Like all of that stuff can matter um, in how a team is covered, but also how uh, other people will look at them. If the Browns win, which is what both of us, I think, expect, I'll use the word expect. Uh, we'll talk about whether you want to put a bet on it here and at the end of the, the segment. Uh, if the Browns win for you, does it really matter? Does if they get beat in the first round, like, is that a big difference between losing in week 17 and not making the playoffs versus making the playoffs, but losing in the first in the wild card round? No, man, make the playoffs. It's, it's a, it's a mental hike. Uh, I think the, the bills have been a really good litmus test for this. Um, you, you make the playoffs, you change the culture and you start to build what is important around the important pieces you have. And, uh, I just think the mental burden of we went to the playoffs, we've been there, we're close, we're right where we want to be, uh, it all matters. So um, I think they certainly have to get to the playoffs, um, it, we, we, whatever, listen, whatever it takes to get there. There is no, well, we, we got there and we lost in the first round, that sucks. And it's just, no, get to the playoffs. That's the most important first step in this process. Perfect. That works for me, Jake. So um, am I correct in saying your expectation is a Cleveland Browns win? I know we're going to do our prediction piece. Johnny will get that out at some point in time. But is it your expectation that the Cleveland Browns will beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 17? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you have to think that way until you can't, until it gets proven otherwise. The guys sitting out are very important to Pittsburgh. And it was not a Pittsburgh play, team playing that great. They had a great third, half of a third quarter and fourth quarter. Uh, <laughs> but 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 – they're not playing that great of football anyway, and the Browns are going to have several important pieces back. It's trending in that direction. So, yes, they they should win this game. I think they do win something like 20, 24-14, 24-17, something like that. Perfect, perfect. And before we finish off and uh, wish everybody a happy new year, the NBA is back in action and football is heading into the playoffs. You may not be at a game this year. Our guy Brad has actually got hooked up with a ticket. So if you want to hook somebody up with a ticket, you can holler at your boy. I'll figure out that drive up. Uh, but you may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their NBA season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Jake, thank you for coming on today. Please have a safe and as happy as possible near. Thanks, Jared. You too, my friend. Okay, now we're going to shift over to an interview that I had. I wanted to have somebody specifically from Pittsburgh on. Uh, Tyler Polk does a good job on the Renegade Blitz podcast. 
uh, which is a uh, nice podcast out of Pittsburgh. I've gone on their show several times, went on there this week. And uh, Tyler is a really insightful dude. I think he does a great job talking about where the Steelers are right now because I think it's important to track, uh, especially the, the sort of roller coaster those guys have been on uh, since since their 11-0 start. They dropped three in a row and then almost dropped to the Colts. So uh, let's check in with him. I, I, this is, again, recorded a couple days ago, so there was no news of Denzel being out. There was just some news trickling in of which Steelers were going to be out officially. So, um, yeah, hopefully you guys get some enjoyment out of this one. Let's get over to the interview with Tyler Pope. So, Tyler, man, I'm I'm most curious about, you know, Browns fans have been watching uh, kind of closely as they thought they still had a chance at the division possibly before this last weekend. Like, it, it's it's been a whirlwind for the Steelers, right? Like, give me a general synopsis of sort of where they are right now heading into Week 17. Uh, man, it, it, it was just to, just to go into that Colts game at halftime, it, it was just like, man it's over this team is this team can barely compete right now it it can't complete a first down it can't establish the run it doesn't try to establish the run to to basically go all Jim Moore on you but just out of nowhere it just kind of all like every Steelers season there's just certain points where the team just goes okay let's go and it, it felt good so right now it's just we're happy to be back in the playoffs. We're happy to not have to hope other teams lose to necessarily just find a way in, just stumble into the playoffs. So everything's good in Steeler Nation right now. That's good, man. I mean, well, I mean, I guess good is relative for folks because most of the people listening to this podcast would have had it preferred to go the other way. But but what oh, I'm interested, <laughs> what I'm interested in is is what do you think, like, I know you kind of touched on things dried up, but, like, what's the big reason this team starts 11-0 and and then and then loses three straight? Looks like they might lose a fourth straight until, like, I don't know, five, six minutes left in that third quarter. We'll talk about that Colts game in a minute. But, like, what, what I guess it's, do you think defense has solved what Pittsburgh's trying to do offensively? The defense got too many injuries that, 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 that kind of, I guess build up over time. Where are you with what happened to the three game slide? And do you think that three game slide and we'll kind of they're gonna obviously sit people we know now a clearer picture of who they're sitting. It's not really a real game, uh, week seventeen for Pittsburgh from a full strength perspective, from a we want to really win perspective. So more like looking at the wild card, do you think this three game slide and that first half, maybe first half and five minutes of the second half, is that who they are? Or do you think there is another level that this team can still get to that actually equals a real playoff contender when they have to play Buffalo potentially and when they potentially have to play, um, obviously, the, the, the Chiefs as well? Yeah, um, well, one thing to, to start on a three-game slide, really, I think it was a combination of teams really did figure out that the Steelers were going to throw short. Um, There was a lot of teams that were playing up to the line. They had safeties up on the line because they knew that they weren't a good running team. And it's kind of shocking because really the first Cleveland game was the last time the Steelers had a hundred yard rusher in James Conner. And it was the last time they went over a hundred yards rushing total until Jacksonville. That was one of the big things. It's just teams realize that this team is going to abandon the run quickly and it prefers that short passing game. 
which is fine. They have physical receivers. They can fight their way to first downs and a lot of things like that. But then, of course, the injuries started mounting up. Uh, it started with Bud Dupree. And really, the team kind of misses him. Highsmith can be a nice, solid replacement. And I guess, depending on if Bud wants to leave, he's the future. But, yeah, the Dupree injury, because teams started keying in a little bit on T.J. Watt. And it was rare. He was already getting holded. I mean, at one point against in the Colts game, he was effectively standing triangle arm choked at one point. And they don't call holding penalties on TJ Watt much. Listen, man, I feel you on the on the holding stuff. Like Miles Garrett is is in the same boat. I wrote a piece. Listen, man, it got so crazy that I wrote a piece about Miles Garrett getting the Shaquille O'Neal treatment. Like they didn't know how to officiate this guy. Like it's just uh, it's just it's brutal. It's brutal to watch. And I'm sure. Listen, we don't watch every Pittsburgh game, but I, I'm I'm positive TJ gets held as well. And uh, luckily for Browns fans, he's out this week. They've decided Cam Hayward, another guy the Browns have perpetually struggled with in his time with Pittsburgh he's out as well uh obviously we know that Ben is out too so I think Marquise Pouncey's the other guy who's out how how big a factor are those guys being out does that kind of decimate any plans to win or do you think guys like Minka uh those 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 faces that are still playing obviously those four wide receivers are still going to play and I, I think there is good a f- group of four receivers that are that are out there do you still uh, feel like this is a winnable game or are you just kind of passing on this one and and uh, we'll just get ready for, for, for Week 18 effectively. Well, I think anytime they're going to play to win, certainly. And, and a lot of these guys have a ton to prove. And by the way, I don't know if you mentioned this, T.J. Watt will not be playing in this game as well. It was announced by Gary Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So that's another piece of the Steelers' defense. And I was kind of in the minority with a lot of this stuff. I wanted, especially on offense, I wanted them to play at least a half, but you're happy to be in there and you understand whatever way they want to operate. So in terms of that, I think the Steelers are going to make a go against the Browns. They always play them tough. And, and there's a lot of things again on the line for them. Guys like Mason Rudolph may be out of the, out of the league potentially, depending on how you feel about him. But there's just a ton riding with guys like Rudolph Snell, uh, James Washington. I think the Steelers are going to have to make a decision with some of those wide receivers. And I think they may arguably, he may want to go somewhere and see if he can get a little bit more run. So there's a lot on the line. It's just not in terms of, you know, playoff positioning. I mean, they can move up to two or they could stay at three, but I think in a season like this, it doesn't really matter. Well, let me ask you this question because it was a popular question. I know when I was on your podcast just the other day, the, the question came up, it resurfaced about Odell, which I think is a good question. Another guy, obviously Pittsburgh has to make a decision on is Juju Smith-Schuster. And, and uh, there's obviously no lack of coverage about his dancing on logos and the TikTok obsession and all of that stuff. And that's fine. I'm, I support dudes being themselves, and that's great. But it's certainly been a distraction to the point that they had to make a point that they weren't going to do it anymore on the logos. And I, I did get a kick out of them doing it in the locker room. I thought that was kind of funny. But, um, like, where do, you, where do you stand on? I know that, listen, Deontay's hyper-talented. We all know Chase Claypool, just a rookie, obviously very talented. Um, you just mentioned James Washington. Potentially he could be looking to play somewhere else where he could get more stats because in your guys' 11 personnel setup, he sometimes, majority of the time, is the odd man out. And I think he's a very talented football player. Um, just kind of like, is Juju a lock to be back? Do they want to pay him? Like, where does that kind of sit 
Or is there more to be determined? It, de- it depends on how, how well he shows up in the playoffs, that kind of deal. Well, Juju said that he wanted another four years in Pittsburgh, and and so I'd like if the guy wants to be here, he he's kind of like the um, uh, Heinz Ward, really. I, I think he's going to be rooted in Pittsburgh, but there's also uh, Mark Caboli of the Athletic in Pittsburgh said he was going to become a Jet, and you know he still loves playing with Sam Darnold out there, but Darnold may become a Steeler. Uh, on, on some running things of course there's Haskins and stuff like that but uh, with with Juju it's really up to him if he wants to stay and be a Steeler he's gonna be a Steeler the, the question is it's just that if he sees these contracts he's gonna get from teams like New York someone is gonna be willing to overpay him and and one team that I know it's kind of out there but with Philadelphia's wide receiver troubles I think Alshon Jeffrey's gonna be gone most likely and they're always hunting for a wide receiver they they love defensive linemen and they can afford to get rid of them but but again i really think that juju if he wants to stay here again it's up to him really yeah it's a matter of if the figures work out i think there's a little bit of hesitancy on pittsburgh's side to overpay a wide receiver they don't feel you know i, I think there's a little bit of buyer's remorse with antonio brown and what happened there and and paying that position because they draft it so well, right? Like you guys replace wide receivers so effectively to be able to handle the loss of of an, an, a peak peak of his powers, Antonio Brown, like you guys have been able to, and, and still have now four four wide receivers who are I think hyper effective players. It tells you that they maybe don't need to put and invest a ton of money into that position. They can still get really quality play, but then it boils down to what they're going to do at quarterback the rest of the way. So let's talk about that. I mean, obviously Mason Rudolph has been around for a while. He saw a good number of snaps last year uh, as they replaced Ben throughout the season, and, and it was not good. It was very uh, it was very unsettling to the point that he, he was eventually either injured or replaced or a little bit of both. How confident are you? I mean, is this a big like tryout for Mason? Like, hey, man, we are definitely knowing we have to replace Ben in the next year or two. We know that he's going to come back next year. He's obviously injury susceptible, so we're looking at real options behind Ben next year. And then the year after that, it feels like it's as good as as good as over maybe for that relationship, unless Ben just keeps finding that fountain youth. But like, I think that in Pittsburgh, there's a tangible, we need to find a Ben replacement. Is this opportunity a really big stage with all four of his wide receivers playing? Uh, effectively his, his entire offensive line outside of one guy, like, hey, go out and prove to us that you have real stake in this thing. Like, are you confident in Mason, first of all, and do you think he's a part of their plans uh, moving forward? I know you just mentioned Sam Darnold, so I'm curious where you're at with that. I mean, hey, he's my guy, so I'm going to roll with him until he truly proves that he can't do it. And there was some things that Mason Rudolph did well. Uh, the game against Miami, coming back off of that concussion, he did pretty well. In the final game of the season against the Jets, he had a beautiful pass to Deontay Johnson. There are some things that Mason Rudolph can do, but he's a little bit of a statue in the pocket, which is, in today's NFL, you need to have some mobility to get away from the rush. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a ton of things riding on it for Mason Rudolph, but I will say this. In terms of what the offense has been doing with Ben, there's a lot more air raid concepts Oh, yeah. From his time in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma State, excuse me. Uh, so you know, with the short passing game, James Washington is still there, and I think he's much more better suited this year than even than even what he was as a rookie in last year. So there is some things to to make you go, okay, Mason, it's time to see what you got. They got tight ends like Ebron, of course. I think he's going to play. 
those four wide receivers, as you mentioned. So, yeah, this is a tryout for Mason Rudolph, and I'm curious to see what he can do. He had a little bit of a spot duty at the end of the uh, first half against Dallas when Ben had a little bit of a knee issue. And to it was safe to say it was an adventure. So I'm really curious to see what Mason Rudolph's got. And if he doesn't do well, Josh Dobbs came back to the team shortly before the season started. And a lot of Steeler fans are still trying to see, like, from the last time we've seen him, is like, hey, can Josh Dobbs do something? So if Mason doesn't perform, Josh will come in there and we'll see what he's got. But most likely there's going to be a quarterback drafted by the Steelers. It could be one of Trask, Lance, Wilson, and maybe there's other guys out there that I don't know that I have to take a look at. Gotcha, man. Well, let's let's real quick close on this. As you look at this game, kind of how do you think Pittsburgh attacks it? Do you think they keep the status quo in terms of game plan and just plug Mason in, let him try to attack the same way Ben does? Um, and, and is that a formula, in your opinion, for them winning this game? Like, if the Steelers are to somehow pull off this upset, which I think the line's up to 10, 10 and a half, uh, something I never feel comfortable with as a Browns fan when I see Pittsburgh on the opposing line. I don't care who's playing quarterback. Um because we all have, man, I got flashbacks of Ben sitting on the sideline. I think it was 2015 when they, they hurt somebody. Um, they hurt somebody and Ben came in and ripped off 350. I, you never know until it's until it's over. So if Pittsburgh gets to pull this upset, how does that formula look for you, um, you know, in terms of both offense and defense? What do they have to do? And, and kind of give me your prediction of what it shakes out uh, Sunday afternoon. To answer that uh, little thing you had, it was Landry Jones, Ben. Ah, came in through, so right. yeah, yeah. But uh, getting back into your question, well, the Steelers haven't really ran the ball well. They've abandoned the run. So I'm looking to see that if any of the running backs, if Connor does play, uh, if he can, you know, try to get something together. He had a little nice run in the pit pistol for 12 yards, and it was the first time where you could say, "Oh wow, the Steelers' running game actually." has a little bit of life uh, they still finish with like 20 yards but still a 12 yard run when the team can barely run the ball is like oh my gosh so I, I'm just looking to see I don't think that it's going to be the standard as a standard they may try to do some things for Mason in terms of like you know getting the ball out early seeing if he can stay in the pocket stuff like that kind of what they did in the Colts game but yeah it's going to be down to if they can run the ball in an efficient manner. I don't think there's going to be a hundred yard rushing performance. And largely if the defense does manage to make Baker make mistakes, they have to capitalize. That's the importance for this game. But in terms of it, I see the Browns winning this because I just don't have much confidence without Ben being in there. I could see it being uh, 27 to 21. Browns. All right. Good stuff, Tyler, man. I really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Who knows, man? Might be doing this again next week. We'll see how it shakes out, brother. Thanks again. Thanks, Jake. Okay, and our last interview is going to be with Anthony Reinhardt. If you have paid attention to me on Twitter, I uh, I have some discourse with Anthony every now and again about some data he puts out. Really, really great data uh, from NFL, uh, the spectrum of things between running backs uh, expected points added, quarterbacks in different situations and how they perform. He's been doing a great job. I think he's going to be a, an up-and-comer in, in the Twitter world, and I think he's going to be an up-and-comer in, uh, 
in, in the industry itself, and he'll find a really good job in this industry if he keeps putting out quality data like this. So what we had a discussion about, and this was last week, I did not get a chance to post this podcast, unfortunately, but what we had a discussion about was uh, Baker Mayfield, the sustainability of his play, what he looks like as a quarterback that is reliant a little bit on play action. Can quarterbacks be reliant on play action and be good long-term decisions for franchises? And then is Baker better than just the play action number? So I wanted to have this discussion with Anthony again. It was a week ago. Keep that in mind. We did not have the Jets game yet. But I do think it's a really insightful discussion where we talk about the future of Baker and the Browns and all of that stuff. So worth your time to listen. So check this interview out right now. So Anthony, man, you've caught my eye um, in the past six months. Look, I'm I'm an English degree guy. I'm not a data guy. I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> so I I appreciate when things that are are analytically driven with football are packaged in in uh, in places in which um, I think are are bits and pieces of information that can be useful to what I look at on film or my conceptual understanding of a football player. Uh, I like that stuff. And sometimes your conclusions are different than mine, and I like that because you and I typically have pretty good banter back and forth on Twitter. If you're not following Anthony, I tried to tried to tweet it out today. Make sure you're doing so. Uh, his Twitter handle's at Ryan Hurdler. It's R-E-I-N, Hurdler. Make sure you're following him. Um, you can see a retweet of mine on my timeline that I put out. So I'm excited to have Anthony on because I want to talk about Baker Mayfield and what some of the data you've been putting out and some of our discourse about the play-action offense uh, could, could potentially mean for him and their future relationships. So, Anthony, how are you, man? I'm, I'm good, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking about Baker and, you know, kind of where I see uh, him going in the next few years and where he's at right now. Well, yeah, let's, let's dive right in. So, the, you know, cons- I guess the way to put this is, it's not a secret that Baker's a streaky quarterback, and you can certainly look at the situation that's happened this year, the slow start, the run game heavy focus, um, some of which you and I have had discourse on their early down play action stuff, things like that, and kind of look at how that ties into him getting more comfortable in the offense, and then from getting more comfortable in the offense, the burden on which Baker's shoulders um, you know, become become able to carry the offense in games where Tennessee or Baltimore or this most recently the Giants game where teams start to really sell out for run game they say we're not going to let you just at will run the football on us we would like we would like you to prove uh, that you can throw it consistently which Baker has done to his credit so I'm kind of just first thing I'm going to put on your plate here is where do you where do you sit personally uh, from the beginning of the year I guess from the end of his second year uh, the first two years of data and then into his third year uh, that has been a a bit of a roller coaster that dipped and is back on the rise again. Kind of where are you with Baker in general? Yeah, so that's that's kind of the big question, right? I think that that's if you're a you know a Browns fan that thinks about the organization uh, where where it is now and where it's going to be in the future, the most important question is whether or not the Browns will extend Baker for that fifth year of his contract, and that's a decision they have to make this off season. So, um, I, I think that. You know, it's it's almost even more important than whatever happens to the Browns this year is what they do after the season with Baker. So, um, I, I think coming into the season, I was I was kind of new at, at thinking about football this way. I was kind of a very casual fan leading up to uh, this past off season, and then got really into some of the analytics stuff, and, and it's changed kind of the way that I approach things. But obviously, you know, had the great first year it was really exciting. I got. Uh, I got a Baker jersey. The first Browns jersey I bought in probably five 
years or so. Uh, after that Jets game where he, he came in and caught the, the two-point conversion pass. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's easy to understand why there's a lot of hype after that first year, second year, obviously a letdown. Um, coming into this year, I was pretty well acquainted with where Baker stood in, in a lot of the, you know, popular analytics uh, ways of measuring, you know, quarterback skill. He was not looking good in terms of EPA per play. His uh, – completion percentage over expected was a little better than where his uh, expected points added per play was. So, um, you know, that's something to look at. But um, I I think coming into the year, I was not feeling optimistic that he was going to meet the expectations to get that extension. My mind was really not changed up through the first uh, seven games of the year or so, uh, or six, I should say, probably up until the Cincinnati game. Um, and I'm, I'm moving my priors a little bit toward, uh, you know, I would like to see them extend him. Maybe I, I would say I'm still on the fence, to be honest with you. We have at least three more games left uh, to see what he does, but, um, you know, I don't think I would be upset either way with what the Browns do, to be honest with you right now. I would, I would be understanding of, uh, you know, if they decided to move on after his, his fourth year or, um, you know, really set up for the future by extending in that fifth year. But um, the last five games or so have kind of moved the needle for me. Um, he's, he's looked really well and really, you know, it's hard to pick out a lot of flaws in how he's played the last few games. Well, listen, there are certainly stretches of Baker's career that could sway you one way or the other. That's what's tough about sports is, what have you done for me lately goes both ways. You know, it can it can make you spend money when you shouldn't spend money, and it can make you miss a signing when you probably should have signed somebody. So the thing that's been particularly challenging about Baker, and this is not something new that I'm saying, but it is you would like to have three good years of data on him from some consistency around him, from some consistency in the coaching staff to the scheme. But the Browns have a 16-game window, potentially a 17th game, if we get another game here where they get to the playoffs, where they say, okay, now we see what the pairing is between Baker and Kevin in this offensive style and structure, and we can't get any more time, unfortunately, to make a decision. So we have to make some kind of decision. I think that decision is right in the middle, which is probably you pick up his fifth year, unless he goes crazy. He has three great, maybe four great games. Uh, hell, it could get to five, and then we're getting real crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, if he gets him to the NFC or AFC Championship, you know, you're going to have people saying, like, this is the real deal, and I get that. Andrew Barry's not somebody I feel like just from general impressions of him. I've never met him, never shook his hand. It seems like a guy who doesn't get swept up in any moment. He's a he's yeah. a big-picture guy, so there will be a level-headed approach to how they look at Baker, but he is doing things that are not just great Browns moments from a quarterback. They are great NFL moments for a quarterback of late, which is great, which is what you want to see, and that's what I think a discussion you and I had recently, which was, you know, play-action quarterbacking, while it does definitely have its advantages for an offense and for a quarterback, it isn't something that every single guy is great at. I think there's obviously a discussion and great data out there about it, it, it the, the, the system, the structure, the Shanahan, McVay, now Kevin Stefanski, which branches off of Kubiak. That tree does things to help a quarterback. I'm with that. I'm not oblivious to it. But I do think there are levels to which some traits within a play-action 
base-based offense a quarterback is really good at and they excel at, or all quarterbacks would be even, right? It would be the same for everybody, and it wouldn't matter. So my point is that Baker does some things, the arm strength, uh, the ability to quick throw without having to to kind of gather a base, the ability to throw on the run relatively accurately, the commitment this year to play action fakes that actually matter and do something to the second level of defenses. I think he's really good in it. And my point is, I get it. I get that. I get that he's benefiting from play action, but it's not like they're not going to call play action anymore. They're going to keep calling it, and he's good at it. And they've structured an offense which is smart. And I think that this trend will continue, which is they don't pay wide receivers a ton of money. They will make decisions that I think some people will not be a fan of in the immediate future. Uh, they will invest heavily, continue to keeping Baker clean, um, which every team should do. This is not earth-shattering stuff. Yeah. Every team should consider that. And then they've, they've invested in two great running backs. And they obviously invested tight end. So invest all line, invest uh, whether that's drafting a running back or whether that's um, you know, finding cheap value running backs like Kareem Hunt, given his situation's not the normal situation. But that's 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 what's going on here. Uh, you surround Baker with wide receivers who get to the right spot at the right time and are just good enough, and you supply him with things around him that, that help him feel comfortable and calm, and he can really rip it. So I guess what it comes to, Anthony, is we know he's good enough in play action. And you and I had discourse back and forth, which is you would obviously want a quarterback who can elevate an offensive line. You know, make the offensive line better, make the wide receivers better, make the t- that that's great. We all want that, but they don't grow Patrick Mahomes on trees like they just yeah. don't. And really, Deshaun Watson has proven that he can do some of that too, to an extent. Um, but when you like Deshaun is is the counter to to Pat, which is Deshaun has so many things working against him surrounding him, while Pat has a lot of things working for him surrounding him. So like. Then it becomes with Baker, we know he's great at play action, we know they're going to keep calling it, we know he's, I think he has pretty clear traits that that really benefit him in this structure. How great is he when things aren't going that great direction? How great is he when things are 3rd and 8, 3rd and 12, 3rd and 15? Situations where they're down 10, 14, 21 points. Can he handle predictable pass situations which require him to do so against good defenses? Maybe not teams like... Uh, Tennessee, who has pretty pretty bad secondary right now, so on and so forth. There are many examples out there. Uh, but can he handle those big moments down against the scoreboard? And that's what it gets to. If you look at Kirk Cousins' data, Kirk Cousins, pretty good regular season quarterback. They do really well with him. He He's pretty efficient, uh, pretty good touch on interception ratio, pretty good EPA. Uh, but when things get tight, think back to um, San Francisco last year. Mm-hmm. Can can Baker be a guy? This one. This is a big question. I'm sorry, I'm long winded here, but this is the question yeah. that this is the the cru- crucial question. Um, can can Baker be the guy to bring his team back in those situations? And like, th- so this is a two parter, really. Can he be the guy who who can not only thrive in play action based systems and help the Browns win in a myriad of ways, but can he be the guy when the burden is on his shoulders? They're down seven, ten, fifteen, twenty one, twenty eight points, whatever craziness you want to want to go with, and they're in predictable pass situations. Can he also bring out of his bag of tricks? I can bring my football team back. Uh, we've seen some of it. We haven't seen a ton of it. So the big question for the Browns is: Do you think that he can do that? Right. Um, and then do you think that 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 is uh, that that is ultimately going to be if he's not, is that mean he's not worth the money? Because you have to get to the point, too, if he's not capable of that, that's not the end of the world. 
they just have to really fight to keep themselves out of that situation. So then is he worth it? First, is he that guy? Can he be that guy, in your opinion, based on the good data you put out today about his EPA per pass under those situations, no play action, no pressure, middle of the pocket throw? Um, and, and based on that answer, if he's not the guy in that situation, is it still worth it to keep him around for a fair value? Go. So I, I think that it, at this point in his career, I would say he's probably not going to be a top five quarterback year in and year out. So I guess I'm, I kind of, I've, I've been thinking about this and I've separated quarterbacks into like a few tiers where there's maybe, you know, six or seven guys in the NFL right now that are like, they're year in and year out. You could consider them reasonably at any given time, a top five quarterback. Um, and I think I'm wondering from a team building perspective, if, your best odds are to just try to get one of those guys no matter what. And as soon as you're sure you don't have a guy who can get into this top five window, you just give up and start over. Um, which is like teams are not doing that in a, in a practical sense, right? They're holding on to guys who are uh, like Kirk cousins is a great example where he's, he's probably not one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL at any given time. Like no one would reasonably say that in my opinion. Um, but teams are giving him big money and he's getting teams to the playoffs and he's not really messing up. So I think then it's a question of like, is that, is that money well spent? Cause you have to pay Kirk cousins kind of like he's a top five quarterback. I mean, I think I was on over the cap, uh, today looking at, at some salary numbers and I think he's, you know, like up in the 30 million range where it's like, that's, you know, the cap is around 200 million. So you're spending about a sixth of your money on Kirk Cousins alone, which is a a lot on a 52 man, you know, a, a game where you have 52 guys that you got to pay. You're paying one of them one sixth of all the money you can pay um, is a lot. So I'm, I think that if Baker were to be able to jump into that tier, we would have seen it pretty clearly by now. And I think that, um, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, Baker's three years have had, carried a lot of changing uh, scenarios uh, along with it. So I think that that's one thing that maybe uh, analytics folks sometimes miss out on is picking up some of these, you know, smaller details where um, the situation is fundamentally changed where it's really hard to use data from Baker's 2019 season mm -hmm. to reasonably predict how he's going to be in 2020. Um, I, I'll admit I'm guilty of that myself. I look at his 2019 numbers sometimes, and I talk myself down from from giving him a contract extension. So um, I think it's important to remember that a lot has changed since then, and that you know it, it could be really different with with Stefanski. So, but but to answer your your first question, um, I don't I don't know if I feel super confident that he is going to be able to kind of put the team on his back in a lot of these situations. I think that. He's playing within the system, which is fine, but like the ultimate question, I think from an analytics perspective, and I think analytics people kind of see, especially the quarterback position through the lens of like, what can I replace this guy with? Like, you know, can I get uh, Jameis Winston on a, a, what would probably be a pretty good contract next year? Can I, can I get him and pay him a third of what I would pay Baker? Um, and he still does a pretty serviceable job. Well, you know, you look for a way to trade up in the draft in, in future years or wait for somebody to fall to you um, that you really like and then try that guy out from there. Um, 
I think is an interesting question. I think that that's where a lot of the divide is between the, the analytics folks on this subject and the, the Browns fans who are really excited to finally have a good quarterback is like, it's, um, it's not, it shouldn't be taken as a slight that Baker is a really good play action quarterback. Um, it's an advantage that every Browns quarterback would have who's in his shoes. And I, we need to be asking ourselves whether or not like a suitable replacement for Baker could do just as well um, before, you know, they, they hand him a big check or something. Um, so yeah, go, go ahead. No, it's, it's what, it's what the, the question is, is, is like, is Baker an example would be is, is Baker like Alex Smith, where there's a limit to where Baker can take you uh, and your team. And like, we know that Baker can function pretty well in this structure. We know that Baker can do a lot of the play action things we want, and he can make a lot of throws against a lot of defenses, but against those defenses we need to care about, he doesn't have that ability to get them there. I'm not saying one way or the other. We're going to let that stuff play out. But I think that's a question rattling around, and from that question that's rattling around, it's kind of like what Kansas City had to deal with, and it comes up to pick 10, and they like this quarterback, Pat Mahomes. And listen, we know what Pat is right now, but if you have not gone back and looked at some of the opinions of Pat... They were not favorable coming out. There were a lot of people that questioned his ability to function within any offense. Some of the uncharacteristic things, he created his own pressure. He threw some crazy throw-up cross-field passes. Like, there were a lot of questions does. about it. And he does. It, exactly. It, it, but those questions were very real. So, like, when I say maybe it gets to 10, 11, 12, and Zach Wilson's still on the board or Trey Lance is still on the board, and this is after the Browns have maybe made a wild-card game and they couldn't throw an important game like that, I think that those inter- those questions become interesting. Is yeah. is is would it be smarter for us to trade Baker to somebody willing to take him um, and move up to ten? I, I'm not. Listen, I don't want people coming at me on Twitter. I'm not saying to do this, <laughs> but I think the, the the question is there that is really real, which is like, is there a cap to how far Baker can take you? The good thing is here, Anthony, we're going to figure it out. They have yeah, a very we're good. Solve it right now, we, yeah. we really are. They have a good team around him. He finally has a good coach, and we're going to get a feel for that. Maybe they say, "Hey, we want another year sample size here. We just we want to see it before we really decide." And I know they have to decide on the fifth year. I, I I just have now presumed that the fifth year is a lock. I think they're going to just decide from there. It's like we'll see. I don't know where it goes, but but Baker has certainly taken the early season narrative um, that was. That was this guy may not even make it through his first contract without the fifth year option. All of a sudden, to this guy might be uh, an extension candidate at the end of the year. So it's 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 been a roller coaster. Um, like I said, for those people on both sides of the fence, you're going to have a good example in the next three weeks of of what he can be and what he can be in some tough situations. So it'll be fun to to figure it out. But I wanted to have you on because I think this is a a fascinating discussion, and really, man, I wanted to point to your work because I think you're doing great stuff on Twitter, and I really think people should follow you. And don't don't go at people who have a different opinion than you. It, it, listen, if I don't like Baker, it's not that I don't like the person. I don't like it's because you're talking about the best way for the Browns to get better, and it's the same with 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 Anthony's opinion. Sometimes him and I don't align, and I'm like, that's okay. It's okay to have a discussion about this stuff without feeling slighted or or any of that i mean it's just it's just a it's just a discussion i believe we had one back about nick chubb too so it's like um i i would encourage you to follow him um i i think it'd be worth your time i think it's always worth looking at things from a numbers perspective because it's not that maybe you're comfortable with the numbers because i know that he 
puts out. Anthony puts out some things that I'm not always comfortable with understanding. But this is this is what this is what smart front offices are looking at, man. Like that's just what they're looking at. And uh, it would be smart for you to understand some of the data stuff that comes with this. So Anthony, I really appreciate you joining me, man. Yeah, no, Jake, I, I really appreciate it. And I think I, you know, folks like you that watch a lot of film, I really, you know, I always appreciate getting your perspective because I think you see things that, that I can't see or, you know, can't understand because I don't have, you know, such a strong background with football as, as you might have. So um, I, I really appreciate you having me on and, you know, getting to talk about some fun stuff and hope we can uh, do it again. Yeah, we will we will revisit this in the offseason after we have the benefit of a couple of very, very important Cleveland Browns football games coming up, man. So again, dude, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jake. Okay, that's a wrap for this week. A little bit of a strange week. I'm sorry this podcast came out late. I hope you get a chance to listen to it before the Browns take on the Steelers this Sunday in what is the most important game in so long for this franchise. Uh, a lot of things going on. We'll see if the COVID list changes at all. But for now, keep the optimism, keep the positivity, and hopefully this thing uh, this thing yields a, a win for the Browns and they can go to the playoffs for the first time in, in, in nearly two decades, man. So positive thoughts, and we'll see if this team is ready to rise up and meet the challenge at hand. Hopefully you have a good time watching it, and we revisit this game and this team for what will be a playoff preview next week. Until that point, stay safe. Stay, uh, stay conscious of other safety as well, and as usual, go Browns.